You may have heard that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help us save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. You know that I feel like it's important to express yourself. You got to put your true self out there. And those classic Crocs, clogs, and sandals let you do that. That's right. Between the rainbow of colors and the gibbets charms, you can create a unique look. And I mean, literally, no one else will have shoes exactly like yours. Hey, you know it doesn't get any more comfortable than the Croc clogs and sandals. They are just the perfect blend of comfort and creativity. Visit Crocs.com to explore the latest styles and gibbets charms. Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Let's say I'm trying to lurk on you. You know, see what you're doing and who you're doing it with. I can stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. You do that? Not anymore. <laughs> I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages. So no public feeds. And the money is immediately available to use with Apple Pay. Babe, did you just send me a dollar on Apple Cash? I just said our cash isn't content. Shh. <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. There's power in every purchase. Because every time we buy a black-led brand, we make room for another black-led brand. And y'all know I love my lip bar products. That's just one, to name a few. There is a whole collection of black-led products that fit into your daily routine. Show black founders some love. Not just during Black History Month. But all year long. That's right, y'all. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choices at Walmart. That's right. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing black owned products you can add to your daily routine. If you're really interested in finding out who you are as a person, you have to know your history. And I'm not just talking about your family history. Mm, I felt that. For me, as it pertains to generational traumas, the glazing over of such events is absolute shit to me. Deadass. Deadass. Hey, I'm Kadeen. And I'm DeVal. And we're the Ellises. You may know us from posting funny videos with our boys. And reading each other publicly as a form of therapy. Wait, I make you need therapy? Most days. Wow. <laughs> oh, and one more important thing to mention. We're married. Yes, sir, we mm-hmm. are. We created this podcast to open dialogue about some of life's most taboo topics. Things most folks don't want to talk about. Through the lens of a millennial married couple. Deadass is a term that we say every day. So when we say deadass, we're actually saying facts. 100. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> we about to take Pillow Talk to a whole new level. Deadass starts right now. So I know typically I do, I do story time and it's funny. It's comedic. But for some reason, like I, I was not in the mood to be funny today. And I always try to find humor or jest as a way for people to digest our topics. But 
in this particular case, I don't think there's anything funny about what we can discuss. So in speaking about generational traumas, I'm going to talk about how my children uh, kind of shined a light on me to realize what I was doing and what I wasn't doing properly as a father. And it comes down to a time where you and I were walking down the street mm-hmm. and Jackson was, I think he was about four. We were walking down New York Avenue. We were coming back on a train and Jackson had said something slick out of his mouth. And I had said, I had said to him, like, you know, you need to watch your mouth. And he said something slick again. And at that point, I had already decided in my mind that he was going to get his ass whooped. You mm-hmm. remember? So mm-hmm. I remember you looking at me, and I looked at you, and I said, all right, today is the day. Because we typically don't um, raise our kids with corporal punishment. Like, that right. was something that we decided because we both grew up in uh, a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. That's where we met when we were young, and we grew up with corporal punishment. A school, punishment. A school a yeah. We grew up in um, school, a school yeah. that was a Baptist church school, Bethlehem Baptist Academy, and they used corporal punishment mm-hmm. to discipline kids. So you and I felt like we didn't want to deal with that because, you know, we dealt with it, and we remember how it felt. But in that moment, I felt Jackson was being disrespectful. He needed to be told a lesson. So I remember going upstairs, and, you know, you was like, well, I'm going to let you do what you do because, you know, you typically let me do that when it comes to Jackson. And this was our only child at the time. And I remember saying, you know, having a conversation with him, but I was going to give you a spanking. And I remember hitting him with my hand two times on his butt and him just, like, looking at me. And he was almost five at the time, hitting at me because I know I was pulling back because I don't want to hurt him. But he was looking at me like he wasn't going to cry. So then my first instant was to grab the belt because now I'm upset because I'm trying to do this without hurting you, but you're looking at me with this smug look on your face, so now I'm going to go grab the belt. Mm. And when I went to go grab the belt, I remember the feeling I had when my father used to tell me to go grab the belt. And, you know, you go in his closet and you got to get the right belt because he makes you pick the belt. If you pick the small, skinny belt, he's going to send you back and you're going to get more licks. So I remember going to grab the belt and thinking to myself, like, this is just so wrong. And at that moment, I said, Jackson, go sit in your room. Don't turn on the TV. Keep the lights on and just sit in here. And I remember sitting, him sitting in a room and coming out to you and say, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of lost. And then you're like, what you mean? I said, well, I hit him, but I don't want to hit him any harder, but I don't know what to do. And it was at that moment that I realized that whipping your kids is a generational curse. You know, like that's something Mm -hmm. that we don't have to do. But because that's what was done to me, that's the only way I knew how to parent. And I realized at that point I had to figure out another way to get through to Jackson. So family history, family curses, family secrets are all pretty much terms that describe generational trauma from having ancestors who were once enslaved or having a parent who survived physical abuse as a child, the effects of traumatic events that can be passed down from generation to generation through behaviors, um, through practices, and even, believe it or not, hormones passed from mother to baby during pregnancy. And... um, While we can't change our past, learning what experiences affected the way we operate within our family units and our communities on a more larger um, platform can certainly help us change the future. Yeah. That's what we hope. Um, So going back to your story time, it's funny because I do remember that situation. I do remember Jackson getting smart and being like, man, this little boy is just as much a Sagittarius as he is an Aries. Because the smart talk back, those were definitely things that I 
did as a child or I attempted to do. All right, mm-hmm. I didn't do them because my mother would not let me live to see another day. <laughs> However, I do remember having those moments where I just wanted to just like talk back and just lash out. So seeing a little bit of that injection made me feel like this is definitely the combination of you and I, right. you know, because I right. even think about how heated our debates and arguments get sometimes and how much we just want to side eye each other. Um, but what struck me in that was you reverting back to what you knew or experienced as a child with your father. Right. When you said, you know what, I remember the feeling I felt when my father made me go get the belt. And then you going to get a belt for Jackson or having him pick a belt too. Like, tell me a little bit more about what that felt like for you in that moment. Well, I mean, I remember speaking to my grandmother because I was a very smart Alec type of kid. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time in particular, um, we, we used to pray. And my grandmother said, you know, um, she had this thing, and it's a scripture. I don't remember the scripture, but it says, when three or four enter into the great into the presence of God and ask for something through prayer, God will grant it. Mm-hmm. So I remember her asking me to, she said, we need to go outside and, and clean the, the, the yard. And I was like, well, since you said that three or four of us enter into prayer, that'll happen. How come we can't just pray that the yard be clean and it be clean? So, <laughs> so you. <laughs> right. Being a typical smartass, my, right. my Grandmother picked up the fly swatter, mm-hmm. pop hit me with the fly swatter, mm-hmm. and told me to take my ass outside and clean the yard. So, after a while, me and my my nana, she we had a very good relationship. Like we used to sit up and talk as I got to be a teenager. And I said, Nana, why you used to just hit us all the time? Like, why why was it that your first inclination mm-hmm. was to hit us? And he she said, you know, well I grew up in the South, and you know black boys were not allowed to speak to adults. Children would be seen and not heard. And I was just like, okay, I understand that, but why? She said, well, I grew up during a time where if you were a little black gir- boy, a little black girl, but little black boy in particular, and you got disrespectful, you could be either hanging from a tree or dragged behind a truck. Mm-hmm. So it was her responsibility because we were now growing up with her in Tennessee, Morristown, Tennessee, in the South, to make sure that my parents' kids, my parents got their children back at the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. So the way you typically teach children back in the day was through pain mm. so she used to say to us he who does not hear will feel mm, i remember hearing that, that used to, she used to say that all the time mm-hmm. because you don't want to feel it mm-hmm. and she grew up you know her, her parents grew up with money right like she was one of the the black people in the in the community who had money mm-hmm. her father owned fields mm-hmm. other black people picked cotton for mm-hmm. her father he she he drove a cadillac back in the day he that's where she came from but she grew up during that time where even if you were a predominant uh one of a, one of a, a black people from influence you still had to fear for your life mm-hmm. so they parented their children through fear right so it was i do not want you to die so if you do anything outside of what i think is right as a child you're gonna get hit because if you get hit, then you'll straighten up. Mm. And that comes from post-traumatic slave syndrome. Right. If you want to keep people in check, you keep them in check through fear and through pain, which was a trauma that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And here it is now, the 1990s, and my grandmother is explaining to me the reason why she was the way she was was because that's what was passed down to her mm-hmm. from her parents. And that's when I realized, like, so we don't have to hit our kids to teach them how to listen. We choose to because that's all we know. Mm-hmm. She didn't know any other way. So that's what she did to her kids. 
and my father. And I'm not going to lie, my parents were probably the first in our family to start moving away from corporal punishment. Yeah, I would say it was, it's safe to say the same thing with my Same thing, too. right? Yeah. Once you got to the 80s and the 90s, yeah. it was like a renaissance of, of black intellect. And mm -hmm. it was like we became more cultured and we tried different things and different ways to get things through to our children. Though there are still a lot of people who believe in uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. So I've heard that one too. That's also like a parenting strategy that may still be, uh, you know, in use for some people. Well, I mean, it also depends on your ability to make mistakes, mm. right? So, for example, if you're a young white man in America, you make a mistake, it's slap on the wrist. Oh, it's not that big a deal. You're a young black man in America, you make a mistake, your ass can be locked up or you can be dead. Killed, exactly. So you figure, couple that with the fact that the majority of people who I'm discussing, my family, grew up either in poverty or right above poverty. Mm -hmm. Socioeconomic conditions give you even more trauma because now you're dealing with the militarization of the police force in your neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So now that, that fear of being taken to jail or murdered is now tenfold because before it was my grandparents used to tell me, you worried about the KKK, you worried about them white boys coming down, you know, coming down and grabbing one of your kids. But now legally, the police can come to your neighborhood and just take your kids or take you to jail Beat you, shoot you, ask questions later. Absolutely. And these are traumas that traumas that we as black people have to deal with and have dealt with since the dawn of time. Right. So even with the evolution of time, it's clear that there are certain things that still remain. It might have been the KKK then, but now some people are feeling like it's the police that we're contending with. And yes. black people being more susceptible to these issues because of economic issues because right. of systemic and systematic um, racism and oppression and all that. Um, you know, it's it's crazy because trauma kind of shows itself in so many different forms that right. I almost feel like an episode like today's episode can touch on certain parts of trauma, but mm -hmm. there are other ones that we can dive into. Um, mm -hmm. But let's just talk about trauma in general, right? Okay. Um, sadly, most people, even some mental health therapists, struggle to understand you know, what is emotional and, and psychological trauma? Like, what is it? Because it affects about 26% of the United States, which is pretty pretty big when you think about it. That's a quarter of the entire population, um, and that's a child population, and right. about 60% of adults. Right. So um, some of the causes of trauma can be, you know, losing a loved one. It can be a natural disaster, living with a parent or partner that mm -hmm. misuses substances. Um, what else do we have? Severe illnesses. And there's so many different things, witnessing acts of violence. So when we experience any kind of trauma, we have both, you know, an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. Some people are physical, sometimes both. Right. Um, and this can be looked at as like anxiety. Trouble sleeping, feeling disconnected, um, feeling confused, having intrusive thoughts, or just withdrawing from others. It right. can kind of rear itself in different forms. Um, and in children, this can look like attempting to avoid school, um, stomach aches. You know, right. you have that child that's always sick, not feeling well. Um, that's probably a sign right. to dive deeper into what their home life is like. Um, problems sleeping, eating, anger, you know, showing out. Yes. Um, Attention-seeking behaviors. Um, so... 
transitioning back to post-traumatic slave syndrome and what exactly is intergenerational trauma because that's very specific to yes. the black community yes um, intergenerational trauma is more of a psychological term that argues that trauma can be transferred from generations to generations or between generations mm-hmm. um, much like what you said with the story of your grandmother yeah. passing that down to your dad and then to you and then slowly us kind of gravitating away from that so after a first generation of survivors experience the trauma they're often able to transfer it to their children other generations other offspring and it's also um, maladaptive behaviors and patterns that are passed down from children or rather from parents to children and then passed to the children's children so so i think it's important for people to understand why everything you just said is so important right Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna give you some historical context um after the great depression the new deal was created right and so was fha Mm -hmm. FHA was created with uh, the Fair Housing Act right. so that we can create more homes because there weren't enough homes for people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the FHA also made it so that they created redlining, mm-hmm. which means they gave contractors huge subsidies and discounts for creating great rural white suburban neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But while they gave them these subsidies, the one catch was you cannot sell these homes to black families. So think about what I'm saying. Mm. The government created the FHA. This is after the New Deal. All this money is going to to contractors to create homes so you can create beautiful homes, beautiful communities. We're going to push all of the white people, the middle class white people, into these homes so that we can help boost the economy. Mm -hmm. Right? All of the black people, we're going to push them into the ghettos. Mm -hmm. Right? This is what redlining is. Right? And what are the ghettos? The ghettos typically mean you may have some homes, but what the FHA also did was say, we're not going to insure the mortgages on the homes of black families, which means you can go buy a home. You can own a home. If you lose your home, we won't insure it. If things happen in your community, we're not going to insure those mortgages. So if your homes homes get burned down, which a lot of times, think about Tulsa, Oklahoma, they were burned down Mm -hmm. because sometimes mobs came in and burned down whole neighborhoods. So, And the reason why I say that is because people need to understand, once you've created redlining and you pushed all of these black people who were freed from slavery, Mm -hmm. made it through Reconstruction, were able to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, get jobs, and create families, now you push them into the ghettos. In those ghettos... You militarize the police. You have poor health care. You have poor everything. You put all these black people in this area, and then you say, oh, y'all are poor, uneducated people. Do you know what kind of trauma comes from living in that type of environment where you fear what's outside of that neighborhood but then have to survive within that neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Because also with with everything that happened with uh, redlining, there were laws created to villainize and criminalize black people. So they were finding reasons to lock people up and use black people for convict leasing. If you look up what convict leasing is, convict leasing was the new form of slavery. Pretty much they used the Vagrancy Act of 1866. They used the Vagrancy Act to say, you know what, anybody who was homeless, couldn't read, couldn't write, or didn't own property was a vagrant. So after slavery so ended, so after slavery ended, <laughs> right. who was that? Mm-hmm. Black people. Black people. Former slaves who are now free. So now you lock these people up, and now they have to work for free because they lease them out to private companies to do the same labor they were doing as slaves. Right. So all of this trauma is happening to black people underneath the the government, the guise of of the government, 
creating trauma. The guise trauma. of freedom. The guise of freedom, mm-hmm. right? And they disguised it as freedom. Mm-hmm. They disguised it as freedom. This is where they pushed black people. Yep. Right? Now you have all of this going on. A lot of trauma happens because mm-hmm. socioeconomically, when you're poor, you make poor decisions. decisions. Absolutely. You know what's so funny? When people, um, particularly white people who mm-hmm. don't understand history, say that racism doesn't exist. Right. None of this is happening. What do they mean? Right. Everybody has the opportunity to right. work. That's probably the most seen thing I've seen from some yes. of my <laughs> some yes. of my Facebook. Yes. I don't even want to say Facebook friends anymore because it's just literally people who I've known throughout my life that I'm right. just like, oh my goodness, I knew you as a child to right. be like a really nice white person and all of a sudden I'm like, that's how you're really thinking now. But yes. saying that everyone has, just go get a job and it's just that simple to get a job. Not really understanding the history behind it. Remember you said you had a conversation recently with another white counterpart yes. that literally did not know the history, did not know the history. of Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation the Proclamation. War. The Civil War. I, it was a, a white friend of mine who did not know that the Revolutionary War and the Civil War were two different things. Right. Did not understand what the Confederate Army was didn't and what the flag won, stood what was for. The outcome? None had of it. no clue. Yep. When I explained to him that the Confederacy wanted to separate from the Union because they Mm -hmm. wanted to continue slavery, he had no clue. And after having this conversation, he said, wow, because he never really paid attention and it wasn't taught intensively Mm -hmm. in schools. So think about it. When people aren't taught this history, and then we call it history, like slavery. Oh, slavery was so long ago. People came to Jamestown. The slaves came to Jamestown in 1619. That was 400 years ago. Right. The Vagrancy Act was 1866. Oh, that was over 160 years ago. The Fair Housing Act, the, 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 after the Great Depression, that was in 1920. That was a long time ago. Redlining still exists today. To if day. you and I were to go try to buy a home in Long Island, New York, we will be pushed to certain neighborhoods today. For sure. 2020. People don't understand that. In the neighborhoods we will be pushed to today, the taxes will be lower, the school systems will be worse, the groceries will be worse. Everything will be worse, mm-hmm. which creates trauma for our families. Yep. Also, when you move into neighborhoods where poverty exists, crime happens. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It really is And inevitable. crime brings trauma. There you go. I mean, research indicates that, I mean, families living in urban, you know, poverty-stricken um, areas, mm-hmm. They associate a lot of the hardship of um, depleted resources, like you said, burdens of like high stress, um, incivilities and exposure to multiple traumas because ethnic groups are overrepresented. And it makes sense, doesn't it, though? It does. It does make sense. It does. Because if if socioeconomics really defined where we are as people, Mm -hmm. right? And you hear people say... uh, 1% of the population controls 99% of the world's wealth. That means there are a vast amount of people in the world who are not happy with their place in life. Right. But even with those people, you push a certain or you marginalize a certain group of people, typically black people or people of color, because not all people of color are created equal, but black people in particular, then you wonder why there's so much trauma and so much post-traumatic slave trauma in our families. It's because of these issues. And it's important for we as black people to understand our true history, to understand why we are the way we are. Because we say we, we're our hardest, we're hardest on each other. 
Absolutely. You hear you hear black Absolutely. men say all the say time, mm-hmm. black women are hard to deal with. Yep. You hear black women say all the time, black men don't love us, they don't protect us. If we understood our history and how we got to this place with so much trauma, we would understand how to give each other some grace. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? No, I understand. That's exactly what came to mind when, when you mentioned that. Um, it's literally not just the fight that black people have against everyone else but mm-hmm. the, the fight that we have within our own communities yes. that's black man against black man black woman against black, black woman man, yes black man against black woman you know there's there's that deep-rooted um trauma that's now spilling yes. over into it. and it, it really makes me think about how much truth there is to the fact that people are stating now that black women don't feel protected by black men yes and i know you don't feel that that's necessarily true I couldn't say that I feel that way based off of my own experiences. Right. But I know that you recently have had some like ideas about, you know, why that may be. Yes. Can you share a little bit of that? Well, this is what I've also learned is that I learned that we do not control mass media. Mm -hmm. We don't control the things we consume. We are fed the things that we consume. Mm -hmm. Right. For example, um, shout out to Tribble because last <laughs> but I'm also season, referring. I'm re- yeah, I was about to say last season you had a discussion with yes. the I had the a discussion gentlemen. with the four yeah. the three gentlemen. Great purpose, and I asked I them a question. To. I said, mm-hmm. "How many black men do you think marry black women?" Mm-hmm. Right, and most of them said oh, about fifty fifty, right. And thanks to Tribble, um, statistics show that over eighty percent of black men marry black women, regardless of socioeconomic status. Which means it didn't matter if they were poor or if they were rich. Over 80% of black men marry black women. Which makes you wonder, why are we being told through the media that black men do not marry or love black women? Mm -hmm. Because then you have to question what you're consuming, if this is what you're seeing, right? So we see on Twitter all these reposts, these reposts that black men don't love us, black men don't love us. But studies show and statistics show that 80% of black men are marrying black women. That means that that is a lie. Well, we already know what these algorithms be looking like on social media. You see what I'm saying? What exactly is being banned? What exactly is being blocked? You see what I'm saying? You have to take it with a grain of salt because I think people... Now look at social media as there is no media really anymore at right. this point. It's just people putting out information. Anybody with a, a set of thumbs or a voice note can set out a post and true, it just say anything. True journalism does not exist anymore. It it's doesn't. all about clickbait. It doesn't. No one no you don't have to do anything in order to be considered a true journalist. All you have to do is put up the best sound bite or the best picture and get people to click it so the advertisers can go to it. But I think that we as black people need to start understanding where we are. Same thing for black women, right? Studies start to come out. Black women are the most uh, least, uh, black women are the least desirable of all mm, women. I remember that. That's that we had In America, remember? Yes, yeah, so last year. they told black women, mm-hmm. the more education you receive, the least desirable you become. Because black women earn uh, college degrees two to one over black men. Mm-hmm. So then that became a big thing. Oh, twice as many black men are earning college degrees than black uh, black women are earning college degrees than black men. Well, let's really look at the statistics because the statistics show that white women earn college degrees at two to one in white men. Right. Does so that make them less desirable? You see what I'm saying? These statistics is really the ultimate question because we actually did have somebody write a listener letter. I forget yes. what it was, what episode, but she felt like her degrees were in, yes. was intimidating to black men. Yes. And I'm just like, but why would that be? Who exactly is saying that? You know, and, right. and people may have their experiences with it. I particularly haven't necessarily seen it in my eyes. You know what I mean? But right. just across the board, that seems to be right. the narrative that's spewed. That's why when we were on the show Black Love um, yes. a couple of seasons ago. Yes. 
it was so important for us to be able to share our story. It's an, another reason why we continue to share it. our story. Talk about it. Seeing is believing. We already know that. If you're not, if we're not combating these sayings and these right. myths and these, you know, statistics that we don't know where the sources really come mm-hmm. from, if we're not combating that by pushing out more content yes. that's around the Black Family Unit, that's around Black love, then it's only going to continue to get worse. Well, I mean, another hashtag came out that said Black love is revolutionary mm-hmm. because we haven't seen it. Yeah. Purposefully, yeah. we haven't seen it. And and I want people to think about this. Why are we so hard on each other, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about trauma. How is, well, how are these traumas being passed through generations? Mm-hmm. So just for a minute, I want you to close your eyes if you're listening. Close your eyes and think about what happens. This is the 1960s, right? Mm-hmm. You have a strong black man who's out there every single day going out there to feed his family. He decides that he wants to speak out for his rights. He wants mm-hmm. to speak up for his humanity, mm-hmm. right? Strong black man, strong black woman at home taking care of the family, mm-hmm. making sure that everything is done properly. You have a family unit here, right? The strong black man is now ripped out of the family unit, either incarcerated for trumped-up charges or murdered at the hands of state-sponsored execution by police or even by the KKK. So now that family grows up without a dad, without a dad, no income. Mm-hmm. You know, that mom struggles, mm-hmm. right? Now that mom is left there to fear because remember in the 60s we lost a ton of leaders a ton of black male leaders we lost in the 60s through assassination through death through incarceration right now you have a generation of young kids who grew up without male leaders mm-hmm. right you have young women young young women who had to raise families on their own so now you took the male leaders out of these neighborhoods and you have these black women who you're constantly feeding to them you don't have any fathers because you're not worthy Black men don't love you. That's mm-hmm. why you're not here. That's Forget the, the fact that our leaders were assassinated and killed. The reason why you don't have fathers in the home is because, because they didn't want to be because there. Because they didn't want to be there. You weren't worthy you of You weren't that. worthy. Yeah. You mm-hmm. don't deserve. So those yeah. women, through anger, who mm-hmm. have the right, and I, I will be the first to say this, black women are angry and have a right to be angry. If you knew our history as a black woman, you would be angry too. <laughs> Because I had I had a woman say to me one time, you mm-hmm. know, I heard you say black women are angry. And I said, yes, they are. She said, what if I said black men are angry? I said, I am black, I'm a man, and, and I'm, I'm angry. angry. <laughs> I'm angry. I think it had a negative connotation around the whole black women being angry thing, though. Yes. You know, because you think about women, how they compare to a white woman or yes. their, their other counterparts going into an environment yes. where they may be Absolutely. super... I get it. Yeah, super assertive or, or they, they're passionate about the it. way they feel. Um, and, and that's always translated as anger. I get it. And it's it's not necessarily anger. But if it it's is, not. she has a reason to be. Let me tell you something. If you are black in America and you know your history and you're not angry, something is wrong with you. Yeah. Something is wrong with you. So imagine these women in the 60s growing up angry, having to raise these children on their own. Not only do I have to raise these children, I have to go out and get a job to be able to support because you took the other source of income out of out my, my home. House. Yep. Those kids grow up without fathers. Mm-hmm. There's going to be trauma involved. When you raise a household without a father, those kids grow up to become parents. Mm -hmm. They grew up without seeing the nuclear family. You know what that trauma becomes? The next generation of people who are going to feed whatever trauma they had, whether it was from poverty, whether it was from being beaten because their mom had so much anger, Mm -hmm. whether it's from an absentee father, whether he was locked up or whether he was murdered. Like these are the things that black people have had to deal with over time. And then that mom... Those kids grow up to become moms and dads. Mm-hmm. 
So now that young man never seen what a father was like because his father was taken from his home. He doesn't even know how to be a dad. Yep. And imagine you grow up through that time and if, if you're a, a young woman who is angry because of everything that's happening and you don't understand what's happening to you. Because remember, when I did uh, Prototype for the 10 years in Brooklyn, I was around a lot of single moms. Prototype is um, the mentorship program. The mentorship program we did in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, I was around a lot of single moms. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing a lot of single black moms telling their sons, you ain't never going to be shit just like your father. Mm. And not understanding where this trauma is coming from. Because those young men are going to grow up and start to treat black women like shit the same way their moms treated them like shit. And that trauma gets passed down through generation, generation. And we don't understand that it's coming from a place that was designed to create trauma for us to do that to each other. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's not even a thing, well, who's to blame? Because that's what happens in the black community, too. Well, who's to blame? Is it the single black mom who, who talks down to the kids that she's to blame? Or is it the, the father who left? Is he's to blame? Um, and to be perfectly honest, it goes back to slavery. Really. I wonder at what point you have that will we have as a people i think it's kind of happening now but kind of having that light bulb moment where it's like aha yes we have been set up yes we have been pinned against each other yes um are we going to be having these conversations openly so we can now begin to heal and repair you know i've said before that i feel like we are a generation where we are now no longer dealing with or feeling mm -hmm. like we have to deal with those dramas that mm -hmm. have been passed down that, that we're addressing them now mm -hmm. that we're calling people out we're just like yo own your shit this yes. is what happened yes and let's have a discussion about it so we can yes. begin to heal from it yes and you know there's so many symptoms of intergenerational trauma mm -hmm. that rears its ugly head mm -hmm. within the family unit you think about a family who might seem just kind of emotionally numb or mm -hmm. they have the sense of being strong mm -hmm. but is that a facade you know you have the families who feel like discussing this is a sign of weakness you know, I'm I'm now peeling off layers of my skin for you to see what's really at the core, and now that's me being labeled weak. Well, I mean, that's that's a generational trauma that's been passed down from black man to black man because black men have been taught from the dawn of time that we can't be emotional because we can't show weakness. Mm -hmm. You know, even my grandfather, my my one of the greatest stories my father talked to my grandfather is how he was making a, a candy yams mm -hmm. for Thanksgiving. And it spilled, and the whole, and you know how hot candy yams get spilled on his hand. Mm. He had burns. My grandfather tied the thing up, sat down, cut the turkey, had dinner with them, mm -hmm. never shed a tear, and then went to the hospital mm. because he just felt like he couldn't show any, he couldn't be vulnerable in that moment. Mm. And that's when he's like, my, my, my father's tough. You know, my father's tough. Right. And, and that's a sign of like, you know, honor. Like, yeah, you honor. Know? I yeah. didn't cry. I didn't show any weakness. Right. Black men are taught from real young that you can't show weakness out here. Mm -hmm. Because if you grow up in a, in a place where there's poverty, right, you're always going to have to fight for everything that you get. Right. Or you'll be preyed on. And you'll be preyed on. Yep. And that comes from trauma. That comes from having to, from redlining, mm -hmm. having to be put in a situation where you can't thrive because there's not enough resources for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it's only the strong survive, which means I have to, I have to elbow you and kick you down right. in order for me to get there. There's only one plate of food. There's seven of us. Yeah. Which is funny, too, because even just like growing up in Brooklyn, you see that tough kid walking yeah. down the street. And I know, DeVal, you've had some times where you've walked down the street and you see this kid coming at you. And if you stare him back in his eye the same way he's kind of mm -hmm. trying to stare at you, you'll notice he'll look away because he's not really tough. No. Like a lot of it's it a is facade. a facade. Everyone's trying to play tough. It's a but facade. just because you're forced to play tough and you're forced to be tough within the confines of yes. what is the area you live in. Absolutely. You know? And there's also, I mean, going back to just the symptoms of the generational trauma that's been passed down, you know, family might 
have trust issues with outsiders and that can cause conflict. Absolutely. You know, having to not tell your business or not tell people what's Absolutely. been happening. A lot of keeping things hush hush. Keeping That's, things you talk quiet. about that in your family all the time. All the time. It's literally a thing. And, you know, generational trauma has reared its ugly head in my family. Um, not my immediate family per mm. se, but, you know, cousins and extended family who has had to deal with so many different forms of abuse. And there's this um, protection around the person who is the abuser. We can talk about that. You know what I mean? We There's this protection around the abuser. Mm -hmm. There's this, um, everybody look the other way, right. you know? And, and that might've been okay for prior generations, mm -hmm. but you know, I have family members who are around my age range that are just like, no, this right. is what happened to me. Right. And it happened at the hands of this other family Absolutely. member. And what I'm not gonna do is be quiet about it. And then you can see, People kind of being like, well, that was so long ago, though. Which is probably the was, worst thing you can do. To yeah, that was just so long ago. Or I thought we were past this. Or, right. you know, getting those kind of responses. Right. Imagine what that feels like to the person who was abused. See, the funny thing is, when you're a kid and you're being abused, you're taught from young that you have no voice anyway. Right. So you so can't say like, anything. So you go your whole childhood being abused, and then when you become an adult and you want to say something, then they tell you what well, happened so long ago. Yeah, because so there's, really there's a sense no... of fear instilled right. in you when you are abused as a child that, that you, you can't, can't say, say anything. anything. Right. If you are to say anything, it's going to cause you know an uproar in the family, right. and you have to keep your mouth shut. And Or it, they're making it seem like as if it's something that's okay right. and something that's acceptable when deep down you know it isn't, and then you come to find out as an adult See, that it wasn't. But once again, that comes from generations trauma the fact that we as black people have taught and this is not just a black thing because um abuse especially sexual abuse to young boys and young girls happens in every culture mm -hmm. but it also starts from um society's uh, patriarchal way of feeling like men have control over everything and we can do whatever we want to anybody and you can't say anything without repercussions exactly and yeah. that's and that that goes beyond race mm -hmm. that's happened in every culture and what happens is is we start controlling people by controlling the youth mm -hmm. and telling them at a young age you have no voice no one will believe you anyway mm -hmm. and what we can stop what we can do to stop because um, I want to get to how do we cure some of these generational traumas right. right the first way we can cure some of these generational traumas is by educating our people mm -hmm. right educating our people I think one of the worst things that happened to the black community was desegregation mm -hmm. and I'm going to explain to you why my mom, and I'm proud of this, I say it all the time, my mom was the first class to desegregate Brooklyn and one of the first black students to attend James Madison High School. Proud of that because of what it stood for. But I'm also a little smarter now in knowing that the fact that we put our black kids in a school with all white teachers means that they control what our black kids learn. Absolutely. Which means they control what we learn about our history. The, the American history. The American history. Yep. You see what the I'm saying? The American history. Which is why I was taught from a young age that Christopher Columbus was a hero mm -hmm. and didn't find out until my 20s that Christopher Columbus is the Hitler version, is, is Hitler to Native Americans mm -hmm. or the indigenous people. I won't even yep. say Native Americans. To the indigenous rapist, people. All that. Yep. You see what I'm saying? And it's because they controlled what we learned. So by educating our children is the first way that we can eliminate generational curses. The second way is to give children their voices back. Mm. Stop telling kids to shut up and hush and allow them 
to say what's on their mind and how they feel. So giving them safe spaces to be yes. able to yes. say how they feel. Yes. Of course, within context and within yes. the realms of being respectful, but yes. they have to feel comfortable yes. being able to speak with their parent. And if it's not a parent, Absolutely. whoever is a trusted adult, it may be an aunt or uncle, it may be a school professional, somebody that they can feel comfortable yes. letting, letting, letting go with. So think about children and how impressionable they are, um, of course, with their family and with their parents particularly, and mm -hmm. how that generational trauma goes from the parent to the child. And then you can see the child now exhibiting behaviors, yes. i.e. your grandmother yes. having the trauma of knowing what it was like to raise children mm -hmm. post, um, not post-slavery, but well, during well, she her grew era, up through the Jim Crow South. Jim Crow so. South, right, yeah. exactly. And then how that was then passed to your father and then to you. Mm -hmm. And just um, really honing in on how um, children of survivors of abusers, of abusers within family members' uh, realms and just um, how how is it that oh, – sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? How is it the trauma is passed down, even if the trauma doesn't exist? Yes, Okay. So even though the trauma may not exist for the children, how are behaviors then passed down and how does that affect children? I know you so had a story it's, about... It's very simple. And the way I relate, relate to it is, um, you ever watched the movie Enough with J-Lo? Yes. And she was beat by, the, by her husband. Yes, yes, yes. She was beat by her husband, so she never felt safe. Mm -hmm. So whenever she grabbed her daughter, every couple of months, her and her daughter left, Every couple of months, her and her daughter cut her hair, dyed her hair, mm -hmm. right? Every time they were out somewhere, they were always looking at the exits, always looking at the windows. Mm -hmm. She's creating a trauma to her daughter that never existed because she, her daughter, was never abused. Right. The mom was abused, so that behavior that she's exhibited has, has passed that down to now her daughter. So now her daughter's going to grow up, mm -hmm. right, every couple of months. And I know it was a movie, but I've seen this in real life. Every mm -hmm. couple of months changes her hair. Whenever she gets somewhere, she sits with her back against the wall and looks for the exit. Right. Not knowing you know, exactly why not she Not knowing why, but, but yeah. this is normal behavior to her. Right. Because this, for example, how many black kids who've probably never had any issues with cops? The cops pull up while you're at the light. What do black children do? They get nervous. Oh, my goodness. Do you think about the, the video that went viral of the young boy who was playing basketball in his yard? Yes. And then the cop car was driving past and he went and hid behind the car. Yes. Because, well, I mean, that was probably different just because now there's no, so much going on. That wasn't different at but, all. But I'm just saying that's something happening now. But right. yes, it, it is something that has happened for years where you're, you've seen authority watched. coming along and you're not doing anything. You're innocently that's actually playing basketball. a perfect example. And yes. Because that trauma his, his parents felt dealing with police has mm -hmm. automatically been passed down to this child and mm -hmm. what happens is white people don't understand sometimes you're just like I don't know why you're afraid of cops because I've never had an issue with cops but until you've sat in the car with your parents and watch a police officer come to the window and your parents get quiet and they tighten up and you're sitting in the back like what's going on until you've sat there and that happened repeatedly will you understand why that fear comes you know, and it Absolutely. comes from every source of when trauma. When my mom was pregnant with my sister, she might have been about six months pregnant. And I remember, um, actually, it was probably a little less than that. But anywho, we were driving through Mill Basin in Brooklyn, which mm -hmm. is a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, I was 10 years old at the time, mm -hmm. and it was around Christmas time. So they would normally put up all of these bright lights, and mm -hmm. the houses were a little bit nicer than where we lived on our side of town. Right. So my mom was like, you know what, let's just drive past there one night after, you know, she picked us up from our activities so we can just see the lights you know because mm -hmm. christmas is our favorite time right, of year right, right. 
And then I remember we got into a car accident. Somebody had made a turn, like ran the stop sign, mm. turned into my mom's car. And instantly I was just nervous because I know I'm like, oh, she's pregnant. Like, I don't want right. to lose the baby. So I was remember being very, very, very um, upset in that moment. Mm. But I do remember the guy, a white male, actually two of them, they were in a car together, approached my mom in the mm. vehicle. And we were in the back seat, my brother and I. And they were like, didn't you see us coming? Why are you even in this t- part of the town anyway? Like, what are you doing over here anyway? What are you mm-hmm. supposed to be doing? And I remember my mom being like, how dare you? Like, I'm a nurse I know who will probably mother. one day save I know your, your mom's she, life. Yeah. Like, she, more or less. But, you know, she had a few other choice words, words because right. she closed the door. But then I remember that feeling of being like, oh, my God. Like, now I can't even be in this part of town. So right. I had a friend who I met in school, right. um, in high school, and I remember asking, like, oh, where do you live? And she was like, oh, I live in Mill Basin. And I remember instantly going back to that time and feeling yeah. like, damn, that I'm probably not going to be welcome in your house. You may be nice, but your parents might not want right. me being dropped off into your home in that part right. of town. And then after that, it was just always, like, the, the idea of, like, oh, my God, seeing how scared my mom was right. over there not wanting to go back to that part of town because i'm like oh my god like my mom clearly was like disrespected and now so we have boys effect. if they say they're going to their friend's house in mill basin and we're in brooklyn what's the first thing you're going to say right don't go over, don't there. Go over there you see so right. you're passing down the trauma that happened absolutely. to you to your boys when they've never experienced it absolutely and we, they're gonna be like why parents, you're just being a mom right. <laughs> you're being crazy but right. i'm like no you can kind of foresee those things and it could potentially affect them as well and parents parents do that to their children all the time and i don't want to call it seeing ghosts because mm-hmm. typically parents do that in fear because they do not want their children to ever have to experience that and be caught off guard mm-hmm. so i don't want to call it seeing ghosts but realistically when you exhibit that type of behavior consistently to your children, they in turn, you know, be, become almost like shell shock. Like that's when you get that post-traumatic slave syndrome mm-hmm. where everything scares you. Right. And you're worried about everything and you can't exist and function in a world where you're afraid of everything. And you have to know your children, too, because we even know how Jackson, for example, is just yeah. a total empath. Like, he completely yeah. is always thinking about yeah. other people. He's genuinely concerned about the welfare of yes. others all the time. And we know how much our children can handle. So imagine us unloading our fears onto someone with Jackson's kind of personality. That can be so overwhelming for, for a child. That is exactly why I was very deliberate when he started asking me about George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, I was very deliberate about how I was going to approach the racism topic with him because I didn't want to unload all my fear and anger mm-hmm. on him because I know he'll take that He would on, absorb that. And yeah. I don't want him to exist in a world where he thinks he has to fear everything. And that's what led us to writing the children's book. So yeah, absolutely. A, sh- a shout out to our publisher. I'm, I'm not going to release it yet because the book hasn't been released yet. But um, right. McBride, shout well, out to McBride. Well, by the time McBride. you guys hear by this, maybe. Yeah, it'll be it's out. Possible. McBride, shout out to McBride. But um, <laughs> he, he got with us and we created this children's that's book. Why, that's why foundation. with this conversation, I, I really wanted you to kind of lead this conversation because you were doing so much research recently about history and about um, everything that kind of got us to this point, which is very necessary, I think, for our children to be aware of and to know so that way moving forward, they understand at least where we've come from and know how we can move accordingly within our family units and, of course, as individuals. So when it came to Jackson asking me about you know, Armand Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, I decided I was going to be very deliberate about how I gave him this in information because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to create an intergenerational trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And for those, I'm going to 
uh, read off some bullet points of what intergenerational traumas are. So, for example, um, unresolved emotions and thoughts about a traumatic event, uh, negative repeated patterns of behavior, including beliefs about parenting, untreated or poorly treated, untreated or poorly treated substance abuse or severe mental illness, poor parent-child relationships and emotional attachment, complicated personality traits or personality disorders, content attitude, um, no, content attitude with the ways things are within the family. So part of the reason why I was very deliberate about de delivering that information to him was because of all these things. So, for example, unresolved emotions and thoughts about a traumatic event. We talk about things happening in families all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So I, we, you know, we had the situation where I was going to spank Jackson, mm -hmm. right? He's going to ask me at some point why I spanked him. Mm -hmm. If I say... I spanked you because I spanked you. Leave me alone. Get out of my face. Mm -hmm. That's unresolved. You know what he's going to do? Say, you know what? My parents were pretty good parents. My father spanked me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spank my kids. <laughs> right. Without even knowing why. Right. You see what I'm right. saying? Right. It's just right. unresolved. And then and mm -hmm. that, that behavior becomes acceptable, mm -hmm. which brings me to the other point, which acceptable behaviors and beliefs that exist within the family because it's unresolved, mm -hmm. which leads us back to so, and I hate talking about this, but it's the truth. Sexual abuse. Yep. I had a young it's man. A I had a young man in prototype who I found out he, he used to respond poorly to male authority figures. Mm -hmm. He always used to shrivel up. And at first I thought that he was just a little soft. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, let me just see if I can poke him, get in his face and see if he can man up a little bit. Then I was going to my plan was to applaud him for standing up and then get everybody to rile around him and, you know, understand. But this was I was in my 20s. I didn't understand mm -hmm. uh, generational traumas. Right. The more I screamed at him, the smaller he got, the smaller he got, the smaller he got till he stopped coming. Mm. Then I found out from one of his mom's friends, because the mom never said anything, mm -hmm. that the young man had experienced traumas with the mom's boyfriend. Mm. And the mom's boyfriend was sexually abusive to him. Mm -hmm. And she said, the mom said to me, the reason why she allowed it was because she was sexually abused by her mom's boyfriend. Mm. And I was just like, so she just let she just let him do it because it happened to her. And she said, this is my home girl. We tried to talk about it. We went to therapy. But she felt like as a woman in the house, she didn't have the authority to tell the man she was dating what to and what not to do with her child oh, the same gosh. way her mom didn't tell him what About to do with her. her. And at that point, I had to realize, like, wow, here I am not understanding the nuance within each family and mm -hmm. each child, and I'm trying to just assert this male right. dominance and but not realizing. Hard. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it's hard in that circumstance then not to pass judgment or to say, like, you're a grown woman now. Like, regardless of what transpired in your childhood, then having this transpire with your child, it's like, at what point do you say, like, I know that this is not supposed to occur? And, and it's me not passing judgment because... I just right. don't know how it affects someone right. psychologically right. and how that, that mindset is, which is why therapy is so important and actually addressing these things. You, you know, it's I would have never guessed that that would have been the outcome this or, is, or the reason as to why, you know, she was allowing this to happen. So, so now I'm going to explain to you how that trauma and experiencing that trauma leads us back to today and Jackson. Right. Mm -hmm. That young man at 13, once we were able to break it down and I was able to speak to him, I finally got him to open up. Mm -hmm. about what he was going through when he told me. Mm. The thing that was the hardest for me to deal with was him saying, it's not that big a deal, it's cool, I'll deal with it. Mm. 
So him normalizing that feeling made me feel like if he grows up, is he going to then feel like it's okay, it's normal, I can do that to someone else's child Mm -hmm. or do that to my child because it was done to me, it was done to my mom, that's normal. That leads me to Jackson dealing with Breonna Taylor, dealing with Armand Aubrey. I remember feeling Mm -hmm. when I watched the George Floyd incident, right? Mm -hmm. I remember looking at the TV. I got mad for a minute and then I said, this is just part for the course. Mm. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. I might as well go back to doing what I do because this is never going to change. Right. So it became so normal to me right. that we as a people then allow it. Yeah. Like like the Breonna Taylor um, um, verdict, mm-hmm. I remember watching the, the Rodney King verdict and they were all acquitted mm-hmm. and they rioted in L.A., mm-hmm. rioted, tore that place apart, right? Breonna Taylor it's a black woman. No one's found, everyone's acquitted. Oh, well. This is par for the course. We've become so desensitized to these dra- these traumas, these generational traumas yeah. that happen at the hands of the government that we're just letting it happen to us as a people over and over again. And the worst thing about it is they're constantly showing it on social media and TV so that we continue to become traumatized. So every time they show a black person get murdered by police and nothing happens, you know what we start to do? Yep. It's all right. Just another day. And that's why I was very deliberate about giving Jackson the history of our country so that he knows that it's not okay, Mm -hmm. but also showing him that every time these things happen and we complained about it, a little bit of change happened. Even if it wasn't a great big change, okay, with Emmett Till, Mm -hmm. everybody wasn't arrested, everybody didn't go to jail, right? But there were laws passed that didn't allow for the same thing to happen next week to another child. Breonna Taylor, I know everyone is upset and everyone is pissed off, but the one thing that we can at least hang our hat on, right? Prior to Breonna Taylor being murdered, Mm -hmm. no-knock warrants were considered legal, even though they're unconstitutional. This case and this child created the Breonna Taylor law, which means that no-knock warrants are no longer legal in black and brown communities because no-knock warrants were happening in a disproportionate rate in black and brown communities than white communities. And people don't like to hear it, but here is the fact. Before crack cocaine became an issue in the United States, cocaine, powder cocaine, was an epidemic in this country. They did not militarize the police. Okay, Snowfall. No, <laughs> it's, the, it's the truth, though. It's okay, the truth. Snowfall. It was an epidemic in yep. this country. Richard Nixon created the war on drugs mm-hmm. based on powdered cocaine. Powdered cocaine, not crack cocaine. He created the war on drugs on powdered cocaine. But they utilized the law to militarize the police on crack cocaine because it because happened in black it. communities. There you go. And that's, what, and that's what this all comes down to. We as a people need to understand how traumatic situations and generational traumas are being passed down in our community and it's being pushed mm-hmm. through the government. Yep. Like these things that are happening are not just happening in your family, it's my family. It's happening in all of our communities because of what we're going through and the laws and legislation that's allowing it to happen. If we educate ourselves, our history, who we are as a people, we can stop it. But we have to educate ourselves Absolutely. first. Absolutely. And I think fighting the great fight, meaning fighting against government or community within our communities, I think ultimately it goes back down to even the family unit. Yes. So healing what's going on in your family unit, in your household first, yes. and then being better equipped yes. to then now with a clear head, figure out and strategize how to now approach these bigger systemic issues. That's the key, babe. That's, you know? That right there is the key. You have to take care of your home first. Mm-hmm. We realize that there right. are issues. 
But if I realize that there are, there are generational traumas in my family, I got to correct that first. Facts. And I got to educate the, the ones underneath me so that we can move forward and take Absolutely. on the world together. Absolutely. I mean, awareness is key when it comes to healing. Um, and I mean, without recognizing that there is something in your family happening in your family system, then you can't change it. So a couple tips for helping with healing generational trauma. You know, first, seeing the patterns. Yes. Knowing that they're existing. Um, some are more obvious than others. There's domestic violence, abuse, anxiety, gender roles, among others. Um, second step is to building the awareness around what triggers you to step into these established patterns. Is it yelling? Is it disrespect? Are you feeling devalued, mm-hmm. uh, physical aggression, watching mm-hmm. people being bullied? I mean, the list really could go on and mm-hmm. on. And then once you're aware of your triggers, the fourth step is becoming aware of how you react to these triggers. So there's different different ways to react to it. Are you going to shut down? Are you going to be angry, violent, mm-hmm. yell? And um, learning to put roadblocks on those patterns. So setting up a trigger word or a phrase that helps you recognize when you're going down a pattern. Setting up a support network as well that can help to hold you accountable. But what's the key, though? The first step is seeing the patterns. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't see the patterns if you don't know how the patterns got, got here. here. Exactly. That's you why you got to know your history. Right. Or you may know how the patterns got here, but you don't see them. So right. it can go either way. Right. Um, you know, and then finally give yourself grace. I mean, these patterns have literally yes. been embedded in our DNA and our makeup for uh, for a long Years. period of time. Gen- and generational decades, trauma centuries. It cannot heal overnight. Yes. It takes a lot of time. So asking for help from a professional sometimes is a great option to supplement these steps. Um, Sometimes the trauma that you encounter um, can be so ingrained that it may require a little extra work. Yes. But give yourself grace. It's stored up and it's in the body and it's in the brain. Yes. And we need to release ourselves. Absolutely. Well, listen, we're going to take some time. Give you guys a break. This is a heavy episode. Mm -hmm. We got to pay some bills. All right. And then we're going to come back. Uh, try to tackle these listener letters, like I said, and, and um, with everything we're talking about today, it's not going to be fun, but this is something very, very needed for our culture, our people, and for us uh, just to, to heal one for day sure. at a time. So we're going to get through these listener letters. Excuse me, we're going to get to these ads first and then come back to some listener letters. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, y'all. Losing two loved ones in a matter of six months, it can be a lot. And a lot of times when you're dealing with grief, you have a lot to get off your chest with your family. That's absolutely right. You know, people carry around all different types of stresses, big and small. When you keep them bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to kind of figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com deadass today to get 10% off your first visit. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash deadass. You may be aware that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. 
Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. During the break, let's quickly talk about a couple things that are important to most people I know. Comfort and style. Crocs classic clogs and sandals have both covered. When I'm talking about style, I mean personal style. There are just so many colors and so many gibbet charms that you can add to the Crocs to make them unique. You can dress up your Crocs to match your mood, to match your personality, to fit the occasion, and you can change them up day to day. I mean, ultimately, you can stand out from the crowd in a way that only you can because it's your personal style. And now, let's talk about comfort. You know, it doesn't get better than Crocs, clogs, and sandals when it comes to being comfortable. Style and comfort are usually a trade-off, but here... They're a package deal. It's like you have cushions on your feet. Soft, stylish, personalized, colorful cushion. That's right. So why wait? Head over to Crocs.com today and experience the comfort and style of Crocs classic clogs and sandals for yourself. Your feet will thank you. Hey, what's good, y'all? I think it's important for you to understand why black representation in media is important. It's important because... The media represents how people view us, and it's important that they understand that black people are not a monolithic people. That is a fact, and the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truth. Black Stories, Black Truth is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today— Told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and now we're back with listener letters. I would like to say that this is majority of folks' favorite time in the show. Um, and I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to read this one for you, babe, and let's see okay. what, what two cents we have today. So I've been in an off-again, on-again relationship with the father of my children for 10 years. We have two kids, and we both realize that we're getting older. We're making plans together for the future. However, our relationship hasn't or wasn't always the best. He was at one point mentally, physically, and emotionally abusive. We haven't had that problem in a very long time. However, I do not think I'm over some of the things that has happened. I feel like I'm still holding on to resentment towards him, and I don't know what to do. He's a great father and has made so many changes to become a better man. I don't want to let the past stop my family from being together, but I also don't know if it's a good idea to move forward with marriage when I'm still holding resentment. I honestly just don't know what to do. Wow. Well, um, the one thing I can say is that she didn't mention going to see... Uh, help mm -hmm. she didn't go get therapy right. because um what i also realized with with traumas is that sometimes the traumas you have are within mm -hmm. and it's really not the person that you're with you could be having some own some of your own uh, inhibitions mm -hmm. you know as a mom but that doesn't help the fact that he was abusive before right so if she hasn't dealt with whatever is broken inside of her she'll never be able to forgive him you know, because she hasn't dealt with that. So I think maybe she should find out why she can't forgive, what's going on with her first. And then once she figures out why she can't forgive, 
if she still can't forgive, if she's figured that out, then she shouldn't forgive. But if she can figure that out and then say, you know what, it's worth working on my marriage, then I say she can move forward. But it's not an easy fix. Um, it's not just a yes or no. This mm -hmm. is something you have to put work in. Um, there's two phases. There's a part where she has to work on herself first to figure out what the best thing for her, then have to work on what's the best thing for her marriage. Yeah, I'm wondering this uh, resentment that she's holding, is it uh, something that she's discussed with him too? Does he know that she's still harboring right. these feelings of resentment? Has there been open dialogue um, between her and her significant other so he knows right. how much this has affected her and still affects her to this day? Because if they're making plans for the future, she says that we are yes. making plans for the future, then I would assume that he is in a space where he's you know ready to move on to the next phase but if she's being withheld i think therapy is a great way to yes to to um to kind of get down to the root of the problem and the root of the resentment um you know some people may not recover from right some mental, people don't. physical and emotional abuse and that's um, fine ever. and that's right. and that's fine if, if there's something that you're not willing to deal with or try to get over that's perfectly fine yeah the problem is though is that they have two children mm -hmm. and I know people talk about the, the generational trauma that happens through divorce, mm -hmm. but there are generational traumas that happen, excuse me, through staying together. Staying together. Facts. Because That's like children a know. Yes. It's literally <laughs> like a pylon at that point. Children know. When Kadeen and I are arguing, or not even arguing, when Kadeen and I wake up upset at each other because we were having an argument the night before and Jackson or the boys come in the room, they come in the room completely different mm -hmm. as if there was a note on the door saying mom and dad just argued. <laughs> right. You know, like they walk in, they're quiet. Right. They walk over. They don't say nothing to me. They walk over, hey, mommy, mm -hmm. you okay? And I'm like, how do they, first of all, how do they go over to her first? <laughs> of course they're like, going to come th to They me don't first. even know like something My happened to me. My boys will always <laughs> check on mama first. <laughs> which, is the okay. way, which is the way I want them to be, which is the way I raise them. So <laughs> I appreciate that, Jackson, Kyra, and Kaz, but Sometimes staying together for the kids is the worst thing you yes. can do for the kids. So right. I would say try to, you know, try to get some help. Um, work on yourself internally, then work on your marriage. Right. And, and, see and if talk it's worth to your it. children, too, and see if they've yeah. been affected any in any circumstance or any way by this circumstance. Yeah. Because depending on their ages, they probably know if they... Uh, uh, robust four-year-old like Cairo, they know exactly what time it is. That is true. You know what I mean? That is um, true. So I would say it starts with healing yourself first, finding out, you know, is this resentment something that you can get past and seeing mm -hmm. the effects that it has on your child, your children Absolutely. as Absolutely. well um, would definitely be a great place to start. All right. Well, if you'd like to be featured as one of our listener letters, be sure to email us at deadassadvice at gmail.com. Yes, that's D-E-A-D-A-D-V-I-C-E. Mm -mm -mm, you spelled it wrong. I did? You sure? You left out the ass. You oh, shit, I just dead ass advice. <laughs> dead ass, I ain't thinking about ass today. You that's a problem. You don't never leave. What? I was thinking about giving dead advice. Oh, I want to give advice to people. My bad. Let me, let me rewind that. <laughs> that's D-E-A-D-A-S-S-A-D-V-I-C-E at gmail.com. All right, on to the moment of truth. Let me tell you, you were great this episode. I uh, will say, you, I almost felt like I was like interviewing you, but like I said earlier in the show, it, it was necessary because I know you've been doing a lot of research lately yes. about this um, as we uh, get this children's book out, yes. which has been great. Um, That's the, the next, name the of the book. Project. The name of the book, The Ellis's in the Time Machine. The Ellis's in the Time Why Machine. Why do we say Black Lives Matter? Facts. Yes. So in doing that, you've had a ton of research that I feel like I'm still learning more and more, mm -hmm. which is amazing because I grew up in America as a child that went through an entire yes. school system that yes. still has to educate my own self 
on some of my history and the and things that learning. really matter. And for I'm still sure, learning. For sure. So um, I think my moment of truth today, normally I'll give a pitch to you, but I'll just get mine out of the way because you had a lot of things that you had to say today, which were amazing. Um, but I think the my moment of truth is, you know, there's not going to be a way for us to actively and effectively fight the bigger fight mm-hmm. if we're not healing the generational traumas within Ooh, the nuclear family that is deep the nuclear and extended i should say that's so healing deep. the house first we will then be in a better i feel mental space emotional space to then tackle the world because we are existing in a space in a yes. world where we're up against so many different yes. things so yes. many different obstacles so if you can create that peace at home by having those discussions that may be difficult you know calling out uncle so-and-so for something or mm. calling out auntie so-and-so Yes. or grandma or grandpa or auntie, whoever it is, yes. calling yes. them out early and trying to get past that and then knowing that we're not going to have the trickle-down effect of those generational traumas to future generations. Absolutely. Um, I think you you hit it right on the head. Um, the only thing I would add to that, my moment of truth for today, is that the best way to cure generational traumas is understanding your history. And it's not good enough for you to just know your family history. You have to know your culture's history. Because mm. if you can understand why your family is in the situation is in it, you better understand who your family is Facts. you know because when you start with family you can't just start with the one uncle mm-hmm. you can't start with your grandfather mm-hmm. you got to understand how their ancestors got to where we are so that you can have empathy and give them grace to then fix what they were creating because to be honest everybody at that point was doing what they thought was the best for them and their children at that time, at that time yep. we can always sit back and judge Look at the past and say, y'all shouldn't have did this. Mm -hmm. But that's unfair because our kids and our kids' kids are going to look back on us and say, mom and dad, y'all should have never done that. Right. Meanwhile, we're over here trying to do the best. And we're trying to do the best we can. So (laughs) with what we have, but the best way you're doing better. Yeah. The best way to cure generational traumas is to understand your history, period. All right. Now, dead ass, baby. So if you, um, Follow us on social media. You should be yes. at this point, please. And thank you. <laughs> um, be sure to find us on social media at uh, Dead Ass the Podcast. And of course, I'm Kadeen. I am. And I am Deval. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Dead Ass. Dead Ass. Dead Ass is a production of iHeartMedia Podcast Network and is produced by Denora Pena and Tribble. Follow the podcast on social media at Dead Ass the Podcast and never miss a thing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. You may have heard that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help us save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now.
You know that I feel like it's important to express yourself. You got to put your true self out there. And those classic Crocs clogs and sandals let you do that. That's right. Between the rainbow of colors and the gibbets charms, you can create a unique look. And I mean, literally, no one else will have shoes exactly like yours. Hey, you know it doesn't get any more comfortable than the Croc clogs and sandals. They are just the perfect blend of comfort and creativity. Visit Crocs.com to explore the latest styles and gibbets charms. It's time to celebrate Black History Month at the Walmart Black and Unlimited Clock. One at Flatiron Plaza in New York City and one at Ovation Hollywood in Los Angeles from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. With giveaways dropping every hour on the hour, it's a perfect time to try, like, and share black-led products. It's free for everyone and it's your chance to see how you can level up your daily routine with black-led products that are creating a new world of choices at Walmart. Trust, you don't want to miss it. 